only know Alan, uh, Noah Allen, because I play tennis with him. And I told Pastor, Pastor Pat today, whoever is playing tennis with our group with Noah wins. Whoever play, and that's true, that's true. Whoever play against him loses. So last Friday, I played with him against Joe Mastro, maybe you know him and the other guy, and they lost. We win. <laughs> uh, I know also Jim. Well, are you there? Hi, Jim, brother. He goes to our Bible study every Tuesday morning and uh, that we have at Joe Mastro's home, and we have such a blessing time. Uh, Pastor Pat, thank you very much for inviting me and your church also. It's amazing. Thank you very much for what you're doing as a church to the Ukrainian refugees in Poland. Uh, my brother was, um, uh, he pastored the church that our father established. He planted a church in the small city of Struda. I will tell you later a little bit about it. Uh, now, my brother pastored that church about 15 years. And uh, he grew up, when he get to the church, was about 20 people. And he was so discouraged, he was even thinking about uh, uh, resigning. But I call him and we talk and, you know, we had a, such a good a conversation and finally he said, no, I'm staying and I really um, be leading the church. Today that church is over 100 people, members in the church. Yeah, so it's, they're growing. They're growing. And guess what? My brother is today watching the service and hearing me. Hello, Zbyszek. Witam Ciebie serdecznie, gdziekolwiek jesteś. Niech Cię Bóg błogosławi. In Polish. Um... I would like to share with you today, but before I'm sharing, my dear wife. Please stand up, Anya. So this is my wife. Uh, next month, in September 15, actually a month from now, almost, uh, will be our 44th anniversary. Uh, we have, thank you. We have four children, grown up, uh, seven grandchildren. Our oldest grandson is 19 years old, driving a car. They live he lives in uh, Toronto, Toronto, Ohio, Toronto, Ontario. Yes, with his mom and dad and three other siblings. Uh, God is so good. And uh, really, I'm, if you ask me, how are you? I will, my answer always, Jim, is it right? I, uh, I always answer, I am blessed and highly favored. And I am. And you too, right? Praise God. So we both. Yes, thank you. I'd like to share with you today about... Um, God's promises and His miracles. I chose this subject. I prayed for what shall I pray? What I shall uh, share with you today? You, you don't know me, so I want to share a little bit my story uh, from my life, so you can uh, get to see how God promises something and then He'll fulfill it, and also the miracles that He did perform in our life and the life of people in the Bible that you most of you you know it. Uh, my main subject, main, um, uh, uh, I'm sorry, you know, I'm Polish. <laughs> so many times I think in Polish and I translate my head to English. I, it's less and less than that, but um, uh, sometimes words uh, just fly out of my mind. So um, uh, my, my passage that I picked today is Luke 1, chapter 1, verse 50, and says, He, God, shows mercy, and now the magic word, not magic, but major word, from generation to generation, to all who fear Him. 
there are over 7,000, I didn't know that, but I found out there are over 7,000 promises of God in the Bible. Can you believe it? 7,000 promises of God that he, whatever you open the Bible, there's promise after promise after promise. Unbelievable. And we serve such a mighty God who just made promises. Our politicians make promises and most of them they don't keep, right? Not only in America, but in Poland too. In every country, I think that's the way how politicians work. Not always, because some politicians are good and they keep their promises. And we know some of them, right? I will not name them, but we know them. Now, in the Bible, there are 7,000 promises. One of them, uh, it says, states about God sees and he is aware of everything you go through. Everything you go through. God sees it. Sometimes we think it's not possible. God cannot see it. God cannot see. Who am I that God see me? But God sees you. And what more, more important is that God cares. Many times we say, I don't care. Right? You've heard it. And I say sometimes, I don't care for this. Or people say, I don't care. But God, I, I don't think that he ever, the word came out from his mouth, I don't care. He cares what we're going through. He cares what, he's go, what you're going through. And then he grieves when you hurt. When you see, when he sees you hurt. When he sees you sick. When you see the death in a family. He grieves with you. You're not alone. He grieves with you. Because he, God loves you unconditionally. God loves you unconditionally. Look, Jesus came when we were far away from him. Right? When we were not Christians. We were pagans. Americans were pagans. Am I right? Polish were pagans. Only Jews were chosen nation. I'm not a Jew, but I am a child of God. He loves me unconditionally. I think so. That's a wonderful promise. God will never leave you nor forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 5 says God will never, ever leave you or forsake you. We can be left by even our closest friends or even relatives. We can be left by many things, many, but God will never leave us, never forsakes us. And God will, this is another promise, that he will turn your ashes into beauty. Uh, that's Isaiah 61. God will turn your ashes into beauty. Many things that's our consequences of our lives, sins and our, our deeds, our whatever we do, that we, we turn our life into ashes. But God is able to take it back and make a beauty out of it. We cannot do that, but God can. Amen? God can. The unconditional promise of God is this. Never, is it there? No. Never again, uh, in Genesis chapter 9, verse 11, it says, Never again will all life be destroyed by the waters or flood. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. This is what God said. That's his promise. And he keeps his promise. The earth is uh, sometimes... Uh, destroyed by fire, like now in Hawaii, in Greece, and other countries. Uh, sometimes there is a flood, local flood, but then the whole earth. Because God promised. He see the devastation, what people brought 
the devastation, he had to send a flood to destroy the life on earth. But we thank God for Noah. Not Noah Allen, too, also. But, but for Noah, that he found the grace. You know how many times on the court we say, Noah found the grace of God in God's eyes. And <laughs> Noah is happy. <laughs> thank you. Sorry, Noah. It's amazing how God made so many promises in his word. And when we read now these promises, they are either directly or indirectly affect us in a good way. The God's promises affect us. The Bible tells us that God is faithful. He is faithful and he will keep and he does it. He keeps his promises in our lives. What an amazing God we serve. Amen. What a mighty God we serve. You remember the song? Yeah, I'm so grateful to your worship team that you were singing songs that are even in Polish language. Some of them I translated. When I lived in Poland, I translated about 300 songs. Celebrate Jesus, celebrate. Remember the song? Yeah, many other songs I translated. And that's because we serve amazing God who made us, who made the promises to us. And, but uh, what is the promise? Let's think about it. I went on, on the internet, like most of us, and English dictionary states the promise as a declaration or assurance that one will do, one God will do a particular thing or that a particular thing will happen. God, a, a promise is a declaration or assurance that God will do a particular thing in our life. And God made so many promises. Now we can hang on to those promises. We, might, we have a right to hang on to those promises. Theologian W.E. Vine states that the promise is a gift graciously, graciously bestowed. Not a pledge secured by negotiation. When there is a, a pledge uh, secured by negotiation, it's not a promise. It's not a problem. It's an effect or, or a result of negotiation. We don't negotiate with God. We don't. <laughs> right? We don't. God loves us. And he sends us promises. And those promises he keeps in our life and he fulfills in our lives. Second Peter chapter 1 verse 4 says, Because of his glory. Listen. Listen carefully. Because of his glory and his excellence. He has given us great and precious promises. You know, I was thinking about this, this, this passage. Why God chose me to give me, give you, maybe you are much higher in a position than I am. But I was thinking, why God chose me to give me a great and precious promises? I, did not, I didn't do anything to to deserve such a great and precious promises. But the second part of this verse 4 says, these are the promises that enable you, enable you to do what? To share, to share his divine nature and escape the worst corruption caused by human bad desires, evil desires. So God gave us promises. He made those promises Life, uh, living in our life, fulfill his promises so we can share his divine nature 
and escape the world's corruption. Wow, that's amazing. Now, my subject today is about promises and miracles. Now, what is a miracle? And I would like to, together with you, define the word miracle. And I know you probably were talking in your church many times about this, so it's maybe nothing new. But for some people, it might be something new. A miracle is a supernatural manifestation of God's power in which He intervenes in human affairs. Psalm 77, verse 14 says this, You are God who performs miracles. You demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. Not just one nation, but among the nations. See, that's amazing. God made uh, Adam and Eve, and then they replenished the earth. Noah and his family replenished the earth and then become nations. And now Psalm 77 says, Your awesome power, you demonstrate your awesome power among the nations. And when I, when I read this chapter, and this verse, I says, Poland and Polish nation is in the Bible, in Psalms. Americans are in Psalms, right? Right here. You are God who performs miracles. You demonstrate your awesome power among American nation. Amen? We need it. Amen? Hallelujah. A miracle is a supernatural event that reveals or confirms a specific divine message. When God wants to message something, send a message, share something, tell something, people, he performed miracle. And then it caught people's attention. Like we read many miracles in the Bible. Second, miracle, miracles display God's power and act as a sign or that prove who God is. God can only do the miracles. The third one is most of miracles are supernatural acts that are inspired and happens only through God. No one can make miracles unless the person is leading by God. You know, even Jesus were talking. Satan just shadowing or, uh, or try to showing that he can do miracles. And in Revelation, we, we read about some, some miracles done by the devil, the demon, the Satan, but they are not true re, uh, miracles. The true miracles happens in our lives when we've seen those people today baptized, right? That miracle, what happened in their life? They were moved from, from this darkness to the light, from the previous life, from death and, and disaster into beautiful, to, from ashes to beauty. God, that's a miracle. That's miracles in our lives that God made them. We know that Jesus performed so many miracles when he was on earth. His closest disciple, his friend John, he recorded them. He wrote them, many of them. But at the end of his gospel, in chapter 20 of the gospel of John, verse 30, John says this, Jesus did many other miracle signs in front of his disciples. They are not written down in this book. Why? In the last verse, he says why. If every one of those miracles were written down, I suppose the whole world would not have rooms to, for the books that would have been written. <laughs> Jesus did so many. We only read about some of them. But now, look, from Jesus' time, through 2,000 years until now, how many miracles happened through all those years? Even apostles, 
John, Peter, Paul, uh, many others did uh, miracles. I, w- I just want to mention briefly about one, because then I want to go to my life and share with you a little bit about it. Uh, Peter and John, we know, we read in chapter 3 of Acts, they enter the temple through the gate called Beautiful. And there was a man sitting. You, you know this, pa- this passage, right? There was a man sitting, and he looked at them, trying to ask them to, for, the, for the money. And Peter says, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, walk. Some other translation says, get up and walk. You know, there was not just one miracle happened for this man. There were several of them. Because this man was 40 years old. Was 40 years old. And he never, ever walked in his life. So he didn't have bones. He didn't have uh, muscles. Maybe he had bones, but no muscles, right? Like we... um, When Peter said... Get up and walk. He got up. He started to walk. And what else? He was dancing. He was shouting. He was overwhelmed with joy, with uh, dancing. This is one of the goals of miracle to glorify Jesus, to glorify God. I'm sure that each one of us would like to see miracles daily in our life happens. We don't see them every day, every minute, but they happen in our lives. And we would love to see them more often. You know, when Anya was pregnant with our first child, uh, Samuel, our son, he's 42 now, uh, we've got a wonderful promise from God, from Isaiah 44, verse 3. And this uh, NLT translation says, I will pour out my spirit on your descendants and my blessing on your children. Now, she was pregnant, and uh, it was back in 1981. We didn't know it would be son or uh, boy or girl. Uh, that time, the man cannot assist uh, the wife in the hospital for the giving birth. But uh, when I walked with Anya, she didn't want to take a taxi cab. You know, we walk to hospital. Three miles, two miles, sorry. Two miles. We walk. I told her, I take a cab. No, we walk. You know, we walk. And we did. Two miles from our home to hospital. And then I, I went, as usual, to work in coal mine underground. A uh, thousand, thousand more miles, a thousand feet. Uh, I was working. And then third day, she was in the hospital three days. And then third day, I call from, from down there, from the pit in the whole coal mine. And the lady tell me, sir... You have a son. Now look at me. She says, Sir, you have a son. I grew up like this. A son. <laughs> My boss told me, What are you doing here? Get out. Go home. Go to your wife. Go to your son. You know. But we had a wonderful uh, a promise. I will pour out my spirit on your descendant. My blessing upon your children. Then my, our other daughter was born. Then the next daughter was born. Then the third daughter was born. We have four children. We are so blessed. We are highly favored in God's eyes. I thank you, God, for the promises you made in our life. I would like to share a little bit of my family history. It might be interesting to you. Because um, um, you grow up here. You live in America. 
And you maybe not know about Poland, maybe some of you, but not many. Uh, Poland was under occupation from 1795 to 1918, 123 years. There was no Poland. There was a nation living in the borders, but there was no Poland, no country. It was occupied by Russians, Germans, and uh, Austro-Hungary. There was no Poland. And um, after World War I was over, Poland regained its uh, uh, independence. Poland became again a country, and a nation and a country. It was back in 1918. A year later, Russian Bolsheviks attacked Poland because they wanted to take over Poland, then went to Germany, they went to France, then went to England. That was a communist idea, you know, to take over the whole world. So Poland was just a new country. No army, no soldiers, no, nothing. Similar, a little bit similar to what Ukraine go through now. And uh, so at the initial loss of the, some land in Poland, the Russians took over. Uh, then it was a national crisis and call for all men to get army and fight against Russians. And after initial loss, they start to push Russians. And they push them and push them and push them. And 1921, war was over. And my grandpa, my mom's father, was fighting also against Russians. When war was over in 1921, he came home. And the next year, my mom was born, 1922. My mom was born. But the, the, the place, the city that she was born, actually, the, wind, the village, uh, was very uh, poor. Was one of the poorest. It was not Warsaw. It was not other big cities. Small village, no even farms. Very poor. So my grandfather decided to move, uh, immigrate to uh, to France, and they were stay in France for about twelve years. My grandpa got a job in coal mine underground, but she got sick, lungs disease, very sick, almost die. So they decided to go back to Poland. But during staying in France, they met some Christians. They were Catholics, like everybody else in Poland. And they met some born-again Christians. People who shared with them a gospel. When they came back to Poland, a couple years later, they get baptized. And guess what? My, father, my grandfather, he brought some money or other, some gold from France. They bought a farm. And in his mud house that they built in the village, they started the services. This is how the whole family gave their heart to Jesus, and they served the Lord. My mom, his brothers, sister, you know, they served the Lord. Now, on my dad's side, his father was also fighting against Russians, against Bolsheviks. My father was born in 1924, so two years after my mom, my mom. When the World War II started, uh, his older brother uh, wanted to play a hero. And with his friends, colleagues, his age, uh, he was a teenager, they wanted to derail German transportation um, train. So they went to the tracks and they put rocks on the trucks. So when the train come, we'll derail. Of course, that's... When the train comes, the rocks fall away, and the train goes further. No derailing. 
But Gestapo's found out the plot. And they executed my uncle, my brother, my, older, my father's older brother. And they took all family, the rest of them, they took them as a slaves to forced labor in Germany. So my dad, he was 16 at the time, a young boy, he ended up with a, a born-again Methodist family. Uh, he didn't speak German at all, Polish only. And um, that, was, that family met every Thursday on a Bible study. And about six months later, when he already started to speak German, they told, they told him Kazik, his name Kazimir, Kazik. Now you speak German, so we expecting you to come to our Bible study. You know, 16 years old, maybe 17 now. He never thought about Bible study. Who are these people? You know, they're German, so he was afraid. But he was also afraid to refuse. He was afraid that they can report him to Gestapo. So he was treated very well. Uh, is there a picture? Yeah, that's my dad uh, in a farm at that farmer's people. And uh, so after six months, he started to attend Bible studies. He read about the Bible, German Bible, but the Bible. When he came back after war was over, he married my mom, and they get to live with my uh, grandpa, his father. Now, his father and the whole family was Catholics. My parents, they were not Catholics anymore. And they were looking for some born-again Christian church. In that town, there was only Jehovah's Witness and Catholic Church. So they joined the Jehovah's Witnesses. When grandpa found out about that, he kicked them out. Really, he beat them. He beat them. And he said, you better be never born. So my parents escaped South Poland where there was a lot of work. And then uh, they found the Jehovah's Witness group and attending that uh, services. One day, they started to have questions what you believe is not the truth, what the Bible tells us. And my dad was very vocal, and he was arguing with them, you know, and telling them this is not true, and they didn't know how to answer it. When my dad was at work, one day, one of them guys came to my mom and said, show me your Bible. My mom gave it to him, and he stole it. He took it away. He said, you don't understand the Bible. You don't need it. So he ran. My dad came back from work. My mom said, what happened? They started to cry. We don't have Bible. How we can know God? How we can, record, how we can know what he's saying? And they were crying. They were outside of the city, the new city for them. They were walking from street to street. They didn't know the city yet. And they ended up stopped at the big Lutheran old building. And there was a sign on the side. And says, uh, the sign says, let me, let me read this. Um, we have Bibles to sell. No. Um, there, was a, there was a sign that uh, in this building, the Pentecostal church meets every Sunday at that particular time. And at the bottom, handwritten note, we have Bible sell for sale if you need one. So my parents joined the church right next Sunday, and this became their home church. After a couple of years, uh, that church offered my father a pastoral position. So he became the pastor. 
but they cannot. They cannot because my mom's health issues, they have to move to another, another part of Poland. This is where they chose Ostruda, my hometown, where I was born later in 1958. And when my parents went there, of course, they were Christians that were born again. They were, uh, they were I want to say boiling for the Lord, but what is, what's the proper word? On fire. Thank you. Thank you. Oh, I'm so grateful. Thank you very much for helping me. They were on fire for God. They, were, they wanted to have meetings, but there were no meetings. The city was post-German city. You know, before World War II, that part of uh, where they now move, before World War II, was German, East Prussia. So after war, it came back to Poland. So no many cities, no many residents. Uh, so there was a plenty of work and plenty of homes, uh, apartments. So my father went there, found a job. But then he found out there, was, there used to be a, a German Pentecostal church, about 270 members in the church. And they had a building. Now there is a restaurant in that building. And then there was a casino in that building. Oh, bad. So um, he went to the city uh, uh, and archives and he said, listen, uh, there is a building and I found several couple people, families that used to come to this building as a church. We want to get back as a church. And can you imagine the communist government allowed him to have this as a building, church building. And my dad became a pastor. <laughs> my dad became a pastor of the church. And this is where I was born. My brother was born earlier in that town. So there was four of us. And I'm so, so grateful to God that he promised his promises and did and he did the miracles. I want to share also with you. I know my time is up. Can I share something more? Thank you. I want to share with you a miracle in our life happened with our youngest daughter. Don't show the picture yet. Uh, our youngest daughter, her name is Noemi. He's stubborn like me. She's. Um, when we came to America, I told her, change your name when we got our citizenship to Naomi. What's the Bible, right? Naomi. She says, no, I'm Polish. I keep Noemi. <laughs> but now she has to repeat her name three times when somebody asks for her name. Noemi, what is it? Noemi, what is it? Noemi. Oh, okay. When she was born in 1991, uh, in 1990, sorry, she will be 20, uh, 33 years now. When she was born, Two months later, my wife noticed something that is not going right in her body. In her breast, she had something like, like rocks, like stones. Hard, you know, very hard, which is not normal. We have already previous children, and it was not like that. So she went to the doctor. The doctor examined her, and she said, you have to take it to hospital. So we took her to hospital. In the hospital, they found out, that she has a tumor on her kidneys, ovarian cyst, and a hormone overgrowth disease. And some other things that I cannot even say it. When, when we found out about this, Anya stayed in the hospital. We cling to the word of God, to the promise. 
that he gave us the promise. I will bless your descendants. I will pour out my spirits on your children. And we knew and we prayed that God will spare her life. You know, when we, when we went from that hospital, we went to the children's clinic in another town 80 kilometers from ours. And we left her in a, in a crib, in a bed. She was only two months old. We left her in that clinic for the specialists, doctors, to treat her. There was no treatment at that time. No treatment for hormones disease. Instead of gain gray, uh, gaining, uh, gaining weight, thank you. Instead of gaining weight, she was losing it. So we left, we were leaving her in a hospital. Now it's a hard part for me. She was laying down in a bed. And she cannot talk, of course, she's two months old. But with her big eyes, she looked at us and she said, Why do you leave me here? Why are you leaving me here? And we need, we, we had to go home. We were visiting her two times a week, 80 kilometers one way, to, so 100, 100 miles one way, uh, both ways. Maybe here isn't a, not a lot, but at that time, 1990, Gas price high and very difficult. But we didn't care for. Now the word didn't care. <laughs> we care for our daughter. Not for the gas price. We care for our daughter. We were visiting her. And a month later, it was just before Christmas, a week before Christmas, the main doctor of the hospital, he, take, he came to us and he said, Sir, ma'am, you can have your child home for vacation." Translation into English is, she can die at home, not in a hospital. We've seen it. We didn't say anything to the doctor. We took her home. We were driving home. Her mouth were black. Her eyelids were black completely. She was dying. And we have a friend, a doctor in another town. I call him and said, what, you gonna, what are we going to have to do? And she, he told uh, let Anya have given her water so she will not uh, dehydrate. So Anya were giving her water and water, and she was either vomiting or diarrhea. She didn't get anything inside. For Christmas, we went to her family. We had a family reunion. We went there. But all the time, we've been praying. We've been asking God. You know, there was a fight. There was a war for her life. And we were asking God to keep her, to, that she can stay with us. And on that family reunion, we were fighting with the whole family for her, relatives. And one morning, or afternoon, actually, afternoon, Noemi is sleeping in the crib. And Anya is praying to God. He said, God, we are fighting for her. We want her with us. But if it is your will to take her, we release. You can take her. But we, we want her with us. We want her to be with us. We want her to stay with us. And that moment, Noemi got up and crying, you know. So Anya had a bottle of, of milk ready for her to drink, and she knew what happened. She would vomit or diarrhea. And Noemi, it was just a little bit. Noemi drink it, and she's still crying. 
oh, something new. So Anya had another bottle ready for the couple more hours. So she went quickly and gave it to her another bottle. She drank it, fell asleep. This was a moment when she surrendered, when Anya surrendered and me, God started to work. We fight. It's a good thing that we fight. But we, when we surrender to God, our will, then he's released to do whatever he is willing to. Now, I, I'm not going through other things, but uh, I want to share also uh, when, uh, when, when I took Anya to hospital, uh, initially, the first three days, I came home, and now at home is Samuel, now nine years old, Esther, seven years, and Olivia, five years old. And I told my children, your little baby, your little sister, is in very danger of dying. She's in a hospital. She has this, 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 this. They didn't know idea what I was talking about. But I said, it's very dangerous. She might die. So let's pray. And you know what? Samuel, nine years old, a boy. When we started to pray, I remember like now, she was, he was jumping, jumping on his feet. And he was shouting, God, you didn't give her to our life, to our family, that she dies. But you gave her that we, he gave, you gave her that she can live with us and we enjoy with her. And Noemi and uh, Esther and Olivia prayed the same, similar way. But I remember Samuel was jumping, jumping. And he was asking God. He was just shouting and crying. And it was the, it was the prayer, I tell you. And God, when he was looking on us from heaven, he said, that's the kind of prayer that I like. But it didn't happen that day. It was three days after she started to be sick. It, it happened more than a month later when God started a process of healing her. Can you show the picture now? What is it? Summer series. This is Noemi. She's 33, lives in San Francisco. Yesterday came back with her friend Lucy from uh, Italy and Switzerland. They were just vacationing there, visiting, and she's still single. If she if she watched it on on right now on the internet she would kill me. <laughs> but this is how God is looking for our prayers. You know, many times uh, we give up. We give up. But it's different than surrendering to God. When we give up, we just lost our hope. We do nothing else because we're tired, we're disappointed, and we don't want to do anything. But we surrender to God. This is how Jesus, uh, one of the last passages I want to share with you. Uh, Jesus said in a sermon Sermon on Mount, Matthew 7, 8, For everyone who asks, receives. The one who seeks, finds. The one who knocks, Bang on, knocks repeatedly. The door will be open. Now, I was examining this passage, those three 
things. Asks, it reminds me. And Jesus was talking in the uh, Gospel of Matthew about the man. You remember, I will not read it. Remember the man who will owe 10,000 talents, whatever, in today's money, $100 million dollars for his king, for the master. And the master said, I will put you, throw into the jail until you give away. And your wife and your children, I'll put the, all of you to jail until you give away. How, how can, can he repay him being in a, in a jail? <laughs> There's no job, you know, being in jail forever. So the, this man was so terrified. And he got on his knees. And I believe he grabbed the hand of the king. and Please, please let me have time. I will repay. And he was begging. He was asking And you know, this is the way of asking that is touching God's heart. When we ask God, when he sees that really we are needing it. Just like we were asking God for Noemi. Just like we were shouting to God uh, with all my family, my children. You know, this is how we pray. And this God touching God's heart and making him to perform miracles. We experience this. I'm telling you from my experience. The, other, the next part is Jesus says, who seeks? I like this part because it reminds me again from uh, when Jesus was talking in Luke chapter 15 about the woman who lost the coin. Right? Remember this passage, right? Now, I, I try to be very uh, uh, imaginable. So I imagine the woman who lost the coin. And she didn't lay down on the couch or, or chair and said, God, where is my coin? No. What the Bible tells us that she get into the act. She started looking for everywhere, you know. She started lifting up. Where is it? Where is it? Can I move it? Where? No. She started looking for it. She was, she was seeking it. She was so acting because she was lost in her, her coin. And this is the kind of earnest, passionate, zealous seeking for the lost, what we lost, that the Father in heaven will help us to find what was lost. Some of you lost your keys to the car or wallet. So you know what I'm talking about, right? That's the, that's the uh, woman that lost a coin. And the third part, who knocks, bangs on, knocks repeatedly. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus was telling a story about men who came to his friend at midnight. At midnight. Not 10 o'clock afternoon, evening. Midnight. Say everybody, midnight. They came at midnight. And he was banging on the door. Banging. He was banging, knocking, and shouting. It's midnight. And he's shouting to help him to, you know, my friend came to me. And I don't have food. I don't have bread. Can you repeat? Can you help me to get a bread? And Jesus in verse 8 says, I tell you this. Though he won't do it for friendship's sake. That he's my buddy, my friend. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need. Because of your shameless persistence. This is the kind of prayer that God likes. Shouting, demanding, that made Jesus stop on the, me, on the road to Jericho and called the man, the blind man, to himself. The blind man was shouting, Son of David, help me. And they were rebuking him. They were 
they will tell him, stop it. I want to leave you with, uh, with this uh, formula. When our small faith, we bring our petitions to God, to great God, we might be sure to see immense, powerful results. This formula, I don't know if you have it, maybe not. But if you don't, just remember, our small faith plus great God results in normals. Results, enormous results. Philippians chapter 4, verse 19. My God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I experienced that. I'm still experiencing it. I'm not done yet. <laughs> and none of you, because you're still here. But finishing, uh, ending my my sharing today with you, I want to ask you, do you need a help from God today? Today, not tomorrow, today. Maybe, I don't know you. I'm first time, in, I'm third time in this church. I was here January 1st. Uh, I came in the morning and the uh, pastor didn't know that I am here. <laughs> but God knows you. He hears your prayers. He sees you. And he cares for you. He loves you unconditionally. So I don't want to just leave this passage. You go home and forget. I know. Because I do the same thing many times. But I want this passage today. Just sharing with you. Pouring my heart to you. I want to ask you. If you need help. You can come forward. I will not make a long call. Just if you need help. If somebody is in need, runs right away. If there is no need, then we go home. But God sees your prayers. God sees your need. God sees your uh, obstacles and your difficulties you go through. And He wants to help you. He's your friend, He's my friend. I'm blessed and highly favored. And you are. You are blessed and highly favored. So just want to thank you very much for listening to me, to the Polish guy. And I came to America 30 years ago. Came to Michigan 20 years ago. I cannot believe it. It passed so fast. This is how our lives goes. You know it. I don't have to tell you this. Thank you, brothers and sisters. I love you, and God loves you too.